This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret. And I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been podcasting for a little over three years because I wanted to reach out and talk about what therapy is really like and maybe let you know what a therapist sounds like. Some of you may be very well versed in psychological or emotional issues. Some of you may just have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety and want some information. And there may be some of you who don't feel like you darken the door of a therapist, but you are curious. So welcome to all of you. I want to thank you if you've left a review on Amazon or iTunes, either for my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, or for this podcast. Thank you so very much. I'm very grateful. In fact, before we get started, I would love to give you a challenge. I'd love for all of you to tell one person about self-work, and then let's see what happens. I'll fill you in. Today, we're going to be talking about the relationship between resilience and vulnerability and how those two things are an integral part of living a purposeful life. I'm going to quote one of my favorite books, you know, one of those books you read that makes an indelible impression on you, and then we'll touch on what actually creates resilience, that being the ability to bounce back and to remain purposeful even if you get disappointed or you fail at something. Our listener email today is from someone who's fallen in love with a man whose son died within the last year. She's seeking some advice on how to be supportive in this very new but already very special relationship. I know that so many of us have fears about the coronavirus that we're dealing with worldwide. I give my support to you, and perhaps I thought today it would be a good day to talk about resilience. One of the things that people tell me that write into me is they like the fact that I offer things to actually try. That's the kind of therapist and person I am. I'm a look for what you have control over and put your energies there kind of believer. I think we all need a sense of purpose, an understanding of why you're doing something, what you're trying to feel or accomplish or be. I have a new trainer, and she'll just show me an exercise, and I always want to look at her and say, now what are we working on? I want to make sure I'm using the right muscle. There's so much in life that we are not in control of, and actually so much grief is about those things. Something happening where you had no control. Maybe you were abused as a child, or your own child died, or you're watching someone you love deal with ALS or cancer or dementia. It can feel paralyzing. But leading a purposeful life gives meaning to even the smallest of things. So today, I want to focus on two factors that I think are important in being able to lead a purposeful life. And those two things are resilience and vulnerability. An extremely profound book for me, which I read many years ago in college, was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. In it, he told the terrifying and brutal story of being a Jewish prisoner during the Holocaust in one of the concentration camps. He was a neurologist and a psychiatrist in his life, and now he was a number, one more person who was starving and nearly dead, and yet he somehow managed to keep his sanity. He wrote about what he observed, 
that the people who survived weren't necessarily the strongest physically. But survivors somehow found a meaning to their existence, even given that they were being grossly abused and feared being put to death every day. Here's a quote. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. What I remember was that Dr. Frankel made no case for the idea that he'd always managed to somehow walk a higher road, given where he was. But I felt as if somehow, through reading this book, that in my 1970s hippie, pretty spoiled, southern, Caucasian, college student way, I somehow managed to hear his message. That message being, and I quote again, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. And then secondly, there was no need to be ashamed of tears, for tears bore witness that a man had the greatest of courage, the courage to suffer. Now, I had no plan to become a psychologist back then, but this book planted a seed in my mind that I've never forgotten. Finding purpose in life is something I've talked to a lot of people about, and most of the time those discussions revolve around the concepts of resilience and vulnerability. As Dr. Frankel says, you can bear almost anything if you can find a reason why you're bearing it. And in so doing, you'll appear to others as if you're resilient, and you're likely to feel resilient, although you may also be acutely aware of how difficult it is to be. You've figured out a reason to keep on keeping on, a purpose, what you need or want to create or do or become or model. Now, knowing why you want to go ahead and you want to forge on is different than knowing why something happened. There's often no way to know why tragedy or trauma happens or why it happened to you or someone you love. I remember a patient long ago whose daughter had been brutally murdered, likely by a stranger, or that was the theory, as the police could find no evidence that leaked anyone she knew to the crime. But the forensic evidence was ruined by an error, and so the evidence that was available was very limited. So there were many whys of this case. Why her daughter? She wasn't raped. Apparently nothing was taken. There was a sign of struggle. But why murder? Why was the evidence mishandled? Why, after years of searching, would no one step forward with a clue? For you see, I saw this woman at least three years after the murder had occurred. She'd hired psychics, anyone that might could help. And she was certainly not without other struggles, but she'd remained steadfast in her search as she grieved every day for her child. And her purpose was to remember her every day, to honor her every day. But you can tire of being resilient. The woman I just mentioned came to me because she was tired. She needed a place to allow herself to feel everything she needed to feel. And I've heard that same thing from many others. They'll hear the comments, you're just handling this so well, I couldn't do it. And they feel stuck like they can't say, well, I cried myself to sleep last night, or I can't seem to get off benzodiazepines. It's as if the message that others respect you for your resilience or your apparent resilience might not allow you to let on about your real struggles. And that is revealing your vulnerability. So can resilience and vulnerability interact? If you're resilient, can you show no vulnerability? And if you connect with your vulnerability, does that mean you're not resilient? Let me quickly say this. I want to be a resilient person. I try to help people find their resilience every day. 
I want them to experience that they can live through something they're living through, that it's not going to kill them, even though they might wish it to or think it might. The actual definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. And the second definition is the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. The reason why I make this point is because sometimes when people hear me talk about vulnerability, they think that I'm not a believer in resilience, and I am. Let's talk a little bit about how resilience is actually created, especially in children. But also, you can create it for yourself as an adult. I'm pulling today from a Psychology Today article by Maureen Healy. First, she says it's created by a certain mindset. And mindset is what you tell yourself about disappointment or pain. There's a Japanese proverb, fall seven times, get up eight. And I've quoted Nelson Mandela before on self-work, although I'm not going to get his words completely correct. He says, don't admire me for my accomplishments. Admire me for how many times I fell down and got back up. So your mindset is what you tell yourself about your failure, your disappointment, your sadness, whatever it happens to be. Instead of saying, I failed, so I'm a failure, you say, I failed, and I can try again. I have what it takes. So it's a mindset. The second thing is a connection. There are all kinds of studies that show that if you have only one positive person in your life, that's really all you need. Someone who gives you the message that you're worthy, that you're valuable, that helps you learn resiliency. It only takes just one. The third factor that Miss Healy talks about is spirituality. Now, whether this is religion or meditation or gratitude work or an overarching principle that you live by, that really doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you want to have a sense of connection with something you believe in, something maybe bigger than you. So it's this avenue, the spiritual one, that is part of creating resilience, but you can also hear it gives you purpose. So where does vulnerability fall in the consideration of finding purpose or leading a purposeful life? If your purpose is giving you a higher goal, a reason for handling the difficulties that come with what you're trying to do or achieve or be, where does vulnerability fit in? As I asked before, if you're resilient, can you show no vulnerability? Or if you admit vulnerability, does that mean you're not resilient? The great writings and research of Dr. Brene Brown within the last decade would definitely point us in the direction of realizing that revealing vulnerability is empowering. And she says that the only way to true courage is to walk through that vulnerability, to own it, to accept it. The reason why you don't allow yourself to reveal vulnerability to yourself or others can be because of shame. Somehow you've learned that showing vulnerability is weak, shameful, or inferior. The better thing is to rub some dirt in it, stay calm, and carry on. And again, we're not saying don't be resilient. We're saying that both are important. Let's look at an example. Think about your own vulnerabilities and imagine yourself telling a trusted friend or a therapist about it. Maybe you have fears that are hard to reveal, but you choose to do so. Let's say you're afraid of failing. And you haven't failed much at all in your life, but you're always preparing for that to happen, like the other shoe's going to drop. You can even be filled with dread. That causes you to dread being given a new work responsibility, for example. So what comes along, of course, but your supervisor asks you to take on that new project. Because you opened up, 
Now you can turn to that friend or that therapist and talk out your fear, which can lead you to a greater understanding of where you got it in the first place, how you can confront it now, what specific needs you might have to help you get the actual task done. If you admit your fear and move through it, talk about it, be open about it, rather than being either frozen by it or shaming yourself so much for it that you have to try to push it far away from your consciousness. You're admitting your own vulnerabilities, no matter what those are, to those you trust, can create greater understanding and much more freedom. Here's another example. I worked with a woman years ago who was a marathon runner, and she was quite good at it and was developing some celebrity in the area. But she'd become almost paralyzed with fear about the stage of the race around the 17 or 18 mile mark because she developed a fear of getting sick during the race. It had happened to her right then a couple of times. It was embarrassing, and she hated the fact that it had happened. It felt intolerable to her. She was saying things to me like, It's never happened before. I hate it, and I should just stop racing. You can hear how much she beat up on herself that a difficulty had emerged, a vulnerability had emerged. But, of course, she was opening up to me about it. I suggested that if she accepted that getting sick was now part of her experience, that she could plan for it and actually do things to help her through that part of the race. We're kind of back to what I talked about very early on, looking for what you have control over. So she did just that. Instead of hating the fact that she'd gotten sick, she accepted it in herself. She arranged for friends to meet her at that certain mile marker and run with her. She changed her nourishment schedule to better accommodate her new reality. We did some therapy around the issue and definitely found some major links to abuse that had occurred in her life, where her physical strength and endurance and just her body getting noticed brought back very old shame, which she worked through. Hopefully you can see in these examples that you actually grow more resilient by admitting or revealing struggle, because it allows that you may fall, you may struggle, and when and if you do, you'll be able to pick yourself up again. Because falling is nothing to be ashamed of. It's part of learning. It's part of growing and changing. Our vulnerabilities do not define us any more than our strengths do. So you can see perhaps how revealing vulnerability can actually help you maintain your sense of purpose, not the other way around. It can be interwoven with bouncing back, finding your resilience, and keeping on, keeping on. Our listener email today is from someone who says, I wanted to start off by saying I love your podcast. Thank you very much. Today I listened to episode 165 and realized I could use some advice. I recently began seeing a man. He's lovely and we get along great. The relationship is new and we're doing all those new relationship things. But one of the very first things he told me was that he had lost his son about a year ago. The passing was sudden. I know he's still in a great deal of pain. This past weekend, we managed to sneak away for some hiking and alone time, and he spoke of his son quite a bit. Having children of my own, I can't imagine what or how he feels, so I just sat and listened to the stories and memories. He leaves this weekend to go back to the city where his son lived and honor his death, as it will be the one-year anniversary. My big question is, what do I do? How do I support him? I know the path he's on is difficult, but I want him to know I'm here, and I won't shy away from his suffering. 
How can I support him and meet his needs at this time? Obviously, the very fact that she's asking this question means that she is very sensitive to what's going on, and I commended her for that. And then I said, his needs could be as diverse as grief is diverse. Some people might want to be alone. Others would seek the comfort that someone's presence can bring. Actually, you said it very beautifully to me. I'd give him the same message, that you're available to do whatever or be whatever, but also that you respect his grieving process and the possibility that it needs to be very private and let him know that you're going to be around because there are times that the second year after someone's death is actually harder than the first because there's less support and less awareness. So you can assure him that you want to be there when others aren't and that you're honored that he shared his son's life and death with you. Good luck to you. It sounds as if both of you are lucky to have met one another. Thank you so much for being here today. You know, I'm always very honored when people write in and ask me questions. I will say, however, that I have sort of a pile of questions that I haven't been able to answer. I've been busy doing some podcast interviews and since I live in the United States, taxes, but I will be getting to them. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can go over to my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, and subscribe there because that's a really easy way of making sure you receive the podcast episode as well as my weekly blog post, which you'll get a newsletter weekly. That's it, I promise. Many of you know that I have published a new book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, And I just saw an article from an Ohio newspaper about a couple that said that their teenage son had died from perfectly hidden depression. I'm obviously very sad that they're having to use that term, but I'm also grateful and feel very honored to try to help people understand what's going on. Depression can wear many faces, and one of them is the face of the perfect-looking life. I want to invite you to let me know If there's a possibility that you have a group or maybe you're going to a seminar, maybe you know of a workshop where some of my work on perfectly hidden depression might be helpful, you are my eyes and ears. (laughs) And I'd love to come to your neck of the woods, if it's at all possible, to give a talk or spread the word about perfectly hidden depression. I asked you in the intro to maybe tell one friend about self-work this week and let's see what happens. (laughs) I would love to let you know that that created quite a wave of listeners. Many of you have told me that you've shared self-work with friends, and I cannot tell you how much that means to me. If you'd like a little more support from me, you can join my Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. But now if you've tried to get in and I haven't let you in, it's probably due to the fact that you haven't answered the questions. So certainly ask again, again, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I just want to make sure that the group is a good fit for you and vice versa. Thanks again for listening to episode 170 of Self-Work. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.